Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. Are we recording? Are we recording? Okay. (laughs) People. People. Welcome to a very important episode. So important. Of Bubbles and Books. Hashtag important. We have bubbles. And we have books. Yeah, we have In our heads and our hearts. I I opened a bottle. Rachel is our great buyer now of champagne. And I'm excited about what she gave us. I just want a little. We're not going to talk about what we're reading because we have too many books to talk about. So I want to talk about the wine. Cremant de Loire is like champagne in that it's branded. If you come, like if you drink a Cremant de Loire, it had to come from the Loire region of France, and it has to have a certain like palette to it. I found this very interesting that they said that the color, it should be bright, and it should be clear, but it could have a subtle color of gray. Ooh, let's, let's see. Let's find out. It doesn't look gray. That does not look gray. It looks like a beautiful star in the sky. <laughs> and this one <laughs> is called Mon Contour, which I looked up. And Mon Contour is a little village. It's a commune in the Loire Valley. And Mon Contour means literally little village. So they are very... I would just like to pause and say Rachel is criticizing where I'm putting my champagne glass. She Who spilled champagne last time? Was oh, yeah. it me? <laughs> Who was it, Amanda? Do you remember? It was Rachel. It was Rachel. Yeah. So we're going to be really fancy and professional. We have coasters and placemats. It's like my mom is here. It's like our mom, Rachel, is here. Yep. We love her. We need her. She's super okay, annoying. So doesn't know anything. Cheers. Cheers. We're drinking Mon Contour. Tell me what you think. It's supposed to have a fine bread palette. Yeast. <laughs> um, they're fresh, crisp, and lively. And it is best served with fish and shellfish and desserts. I don't know about that. I think champagne is for everything. It's for all things. Hmm. I just had a turkey sandwich. Tastes great. I had an Italian sandwich that went perfectly with it. So it appears it's a very versatile wine. This is not a wine for saving. You don't want to save it for 20 years yeah. to celebrate your wedding or the birth of your grandchild. Drink it right is away. Is any wine worth saving? Yeah. It is. I think it is. Um, I think that's kind of how they ended up with champagne. Just FYI, side note. Just saving it? They saved it, and they were like, oh, shit, some bubbles happened in this bottle. (laughs) This is literally what happened. There was a double fermentation, and the bubbles happened, and the English discovered it, not the French. And the English were like, ooh, we kind of like this. But then the French were like, well, we made the wine. They said, au contraire, bonjour. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they said. And they said, "Uh, we'll swipe in on... The um, trademark before you guys can. And then the English so said, now we own it. Swiper, no swiping. <laughs> okay. 
the important business, exciting business. So last week, we talked about different best ofs of the year. So different lists that people right. have Right, and out. there were a lot of good ones out there, and they're fun to look at. Some we very much agreed with. Some we were like, what the heck is that book? Because we haven't <laughs> heard of it. Whoops. Like, I guess it's not on our radar. You guys are very special literary highbrow list makers, you know. But the best list is our list. Is our list. Okay. And we're going to be talking about that list. Today. And the reason why our list is so good is because we are an indie bookstore with a large staff of voracious readers who read widely and they read a lot. So they can speak to a lot of books, you and I included. So we pulled our staff and everyone threw in titles. We had to winnow it down to our top 12. So you have to know it's a little bit, it's a little bit biased towards Ellen and Amanda's identity, but you know, we started the star, so um, <laughs> I which it, it is representative of staff favorites. I would agree. We were looking for books that got multiple votes from multiple people yep. on staff. Um, but you will have an opportunity, hopefully, in the coming week to see the best of picks of each member of our staff through our social media. So here they are. We're going to start with fiction. Fiction. Because that's our wheelhouse. And these are not in a particular order. No. It's not a ranking. That said, I will say the first thing in our document is kind of like my favorite of the year. You're going to call it your favorite of the year. Yeah. It's going to be on the top of my stack because I love Kevin Wilson. Now is not the time to panic. Is came out in November and we were so excited because we wanted to launch our subscription, the dog pack with a book that represented our literary taste. The, and that would like be like a knockout punch. Okay. Like amazing. It's what we believe in, what we look for in writing, one of our favorite authors, something surprising and smart. Um, Kevin Wilson is all of that. So Ellen, Tell me about the premise of Now It's Not t- the Time to Panic, and then we can just keep a little extra love on it before we move to the next one. Well, it's two teenagers, and it's like 80s or 90s. It's 80s, right? It's in the 80s. Or early 90s. Yeah. Two teenagers, and they're living in this small southern town, and they're both sort of outcasts. They're both in families that are kind of falling apart. And they both like art, and their paths cross, and they decide that they're going to spend the summer making art. She writes. He likes to draw. And so she writes this weird sort of creepy poem. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like a random thing that she made up. And he draws a creepy picture to go with it, and they make copies of this and plaster it all over town. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily creepy. It's just like not you don't it's know vague. what it means. It's vague. It's vague. It's mysterious. And they decide to make it public art by plastering it all over town, and then they just want to see what happens. And it takes on a life of its own. There's a satanic panic situation, and it becomes sort of an international phenomenon. Right. And no one knows who's responsible for it. And now they're adults, and they have not seen seen each other since that summer. Mm -hmm. And um, someone, a reporter, contacts... Um, the main character, and says, I think you're responsible for this. And so she is trying to figure out if she should cop to it and what would be the consequences if she did. And um, by 
Kevin with her long lost friend. And I love Kevin Wilson's voice. Yeah, he has a very... It's just so... I don't want to say intimate, because that's... But it, it's like you're having a conversation with him. It's so clear. And he's funny, and he's smart, and he writes, I mean, perfectly. He writes perfectly. I love him. This is, like, my jam all the way. Kevin, write me a book every year. But he doesn't. He doesn't write me a book. Makes me really sad. Okay. Let's talk about the next one. Is he playing on Final Approach? Yeah. Another one we've talked about endlessly on this podcast. Um, Coming of age novel. Mira spending the summer in Alaska. She's obsessed with this guy who lives in Alaska. So she's going to like work at this island resort and save money. And then she's going to go like find him and hook up with him. And so she's on this island remote alaskan resort small group of people work there it's run by this married couple and, and there's so much cheesiness in the experience <clears throat> they give people on yes. the alaskan outdoorsy vacations that's part of the fun of this book it's, it's a hilarious cheese. book it's hilarious <laughs> and it's like people are ridiculous and unusual but it's a, it's a coming of age where in you know the character is has this summer that puts you know shapes the trajectory of her life and many other lives and many other lives and I heard a great interview with the author Rebecca Ruckheiser who graduated from Emily Brooks Workshop and she talked about coming of age is as when you realize that you might not be the protagonist in the story Ooh. that you might the people who are sort of the secondary characters in your life you're probably secondary character in theirs and so Whoa. I think that's a great way of putting it because in this story, it is kind of when like all this shit is happening to people around her. Um, but it's so smart. It's like whip smart and it's funny and I love it. This and might it be, I might call this out. my favorite okay. of the year. All right, Ellen, you're going to have to tell us about this one because it's on my TBR. <laughs> I will be reading all of our best of the year, but you know, I've been reading a lot of other things too. Devil House. By John Darnielle. He has a connection to Iowa. He lived in Ames yeah. for, for quite some time. And that's not why we like the book. No. We like the book, we like the book awesome. because it's fucking smart. Come back, John. We've been dying for you to hit up town and visit the bookstore. <laughs> yeah, John. John, come on. Ames is calling. Tell us about it. I'm calling you. Um, okay, so the premise of Devil House. This is like... If you like experimental literary types of books, this is one for you. It's got all these strange tangents. John Darnell can write a sentence that packs a powerful punch. Like, if you really get off on craft, you need to read this book. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, so, what happens in it? So, the premise is your main character, Gage, is a true crime writer. And mm-hmm. he's had some success as a true crime writer. One of his books became a movie. And now he's got this opportunity to take on a new project. And so there is this house that's for sale in this California town. And before it was a house, it was like a porn store, like in the 80s. And um, this like quadruple homicide happened there. And it was like a, another satanic ritualistic type of thing. And so he's going to like go live in the house and try to uncover all that happened there. Like, who's really responsible? Cool. But it, I wouldn't say it doesn't read like a 
mystery. There's a mystery element to it, but it's really um, sort of a deep dive into the telling of true stories, like what gets lost in the telling? How does it affect the people who were really involved? How does it affect the person telling the true story? Interesting. I'm excited. Very smart. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a really amazing cover. It's got a great cover. This is one you should carry around. It'll make you look smart. Oh, yeah. People, you will get so many dates if you carry this book around. What Moves the Dead by Tink. T. Kingfisher. So T. Kingfisher is a pen name. because I didn't know this. Yeah, Let's so go back the to author's her. name is Ursula Vernon, and she writes oh. children's books. What? And Ting, T. Kingfisher is her pen name. Did you name. hear we, how we both did that? We were both saying Ting. 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 T. T. Kingfisher is her pen name that she uses when she writes grown-up stuff, <laughs> which I can appreciate. And this is in the fantasy this realm. is horror she it's horror so she writes a lot of fantasy but this is horror and it's what moves the dead neither of us have read this but this is a staff favorite amongst mm. our horror readers yeah and i see someone in the background here emily our events planner it? you want to come talk about it because we haven't read it we just have the synopsis <clears throat> here, pop up appearance by emily pop up Sad emily y'all. tell us about what moves the dead all i know is fungus and rabbits so it's a retelling of the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Fall of the House of Usher, and it's great for anyone who likes atmosphere, so sort of a creepy, slow burn, um, mushroomy. <laughs> mushroomy, <Yes>. awesome. <laughs> Mystery. Mushrooms are hot. With creepy rabbits and creepy people, and then also really interesting gender dynamics, so there's a lot to explore, and I read it in one sitting, and I just couldn't stop, so it was really fun. <clears throat> it was good. Okay. Awesome. And it got multiple votes. It got multiple votes from staff. We didn't do it just to please Emily, even though we would do a lot of things just to please Emily. Okay, next one. Okay, this one we both like really enjoy. tied for my best of the year, but it probably has to take second place to... No, it's but it's a close it's a, second. It's like, it's, like, it's right there. It's, it's like, like one second. One A versus one. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like a little side category. It's just different. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I dressed up as the titular character. Not the titular character, because she's not in the title, but the main character. And um, I also got a nod from the author and the publisher when I dressed up as this character. Yes, you did. Um, Lessons in Chemistry is about a woman in the 1950s who has experienced uh, family trauma, but also, like, just trauma as a woman trying She's to pursue ch- her academic um, focus, which is chemistry. She would like to be a chemist at the highest level possible, and guess what? She's got the brains and the know-how to do it. She ends up at a great institute that's doing great work, but they treat her as a secretary. Okay, They just, like, put her in a corner. They will not validate what um, what she stands for, what her intelligence is. Um, and Elizabeth ends up connecting with kind of the rising star of the Institute and the chemistry world at that time. Um, they fall in love. It gives her access to do the work she wants to do, but then she's like, yeah, she's, she's, it's played off as though, well, the only reason you're doing this work is because you're having sex with the big guy. Um, tragedy strikes. We know 10 years in the future, she is a single mother. 
with a young child and a dog named 630 <laughs> who is never injured nor does he die. So we're allowed to read this book at Dog Eared Books. Yes, and um, her new career that she's found is she's been convinced to be the star of a reality uh, like a cooking show, show, like Julia Child's cooking show. But she's going to do it her way against all odds. Like the station execs imagine she's going to be like the 1950s, 1960s housewife, you know, catering to these, what they think the typical woman is. And Elizabeth knows that the typical woman doesn't exist. Yes. The the world's understanding of what women are and what they want does not exist. So and she's she gonna puts do it like her way. science, chemistry yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. And then what's the line she always says at the end of every episode? It's something like, children, go set the table. Your mother needs a minute. Or oh something like God, that. Oh my God, you are so good. That's exactly it. Okay. Bless yeah. Bonnie Garmus and Elizabeth Sott. I love this book so much. It is perfect for everyone. It's humorous, it's heartfelt, and the cast of characters is excellent. So definitely one of the best of the year. Everyone who's read it loves it. We fought over who loves it better, me or Mariah. You love it. Um, the next one up, I'm going to claim to the Enigma Room 622. Did you I also it? read it. Yes. You read it? Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, and Tom B. read it. She's our YA specialist, and she loved it. She, yes, kept she and I had saying, a good I conversation about it. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, <laughs> for Tommy to cross our Venn diagram on a book like this, I was like, whoa, this is cool. There is something special happening it's, here. It's so, this book is so absurd. <clears throat> it's absurd. It's about Swiss bankers. Someone's murdered on their, like, company gala retreat. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like, a book within a book. So the yes. author is, like, staying at this hotel where this murder happened and he's like wants to like find solve the mystery of the murder and yeah like, and what i just would add um is that joel dicker or uh, it's probably pronounced differently in swiss i think he's swiss um he wrote the truth about the harry Claver affair and he made like this big huge name for himself and he's very very famous oh uh, yes it's translated but i don't know what translated from maybe from french um, he was struggling to figure out if he was ever going to write again because he had lost his editor publisher who was like a father figure to him, a major influence on his life. So this book is so layered in that it's about his grief over yeah. losing this father figure, trying to write a biography about him, which all gets rolled into the book, um, having a breakup. And then he escapes to the same Swiss hotel where this mystery happened, you know, a decade or so earlier. And he joins forces with someone to try and uncover what really happened. And I called it, it was, it's very Wes Anderson. If you know that reference, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I did not. Then call I got it. that the actual book, and it was like on the back. Someone else is like, "This is very Wes Anderson." So <laughs> Wes Anderson is like the driest humor, the most ridiculous characters, people doing stupid stuff that you can hardly believe. But it is a well written mystery. You're really drawn in, and you want to know what happens. It's just fun. Like Gorgeous the characters are too. really silly and ridiculous, but you're invested in solving the mystery. You are. Okay, so tell me about Black Cake. Many people on staff have read it. Many have loved it. 
Um, Black it's on Cake my is kind of like the perfect fiction book. Like it's super readable. It's got a ton of depth, ton of warmth. It's got very short chapters, lots of different timelines, lots of different character perspectives, but it's not hard to keep it straight. So the premise of the book is you have two siblings. They're estranged. They haven't seen each other in like 10 years. Their father has died years in the past. Their sister didn't come home for the funeral. And now their mother has died. And they are coming back together for the funeral. Emily's coming up behind us. Emily's like <laughs> tiptoeing around us very slowly. Um, they're back together. And their mother, in her will, has left an audio recording of her life story for their kids. And Which it is, is really something cool. that they never anticipated or expected, right? Um, and so their, their parents had immigrated from the Caribbean. And so it's how, like, the story of how they came to be in the United States. And it's just a really wonderful story about, like, family and culture. And the mother, like, the, this recipe that has been passed through generations for black cake. And she leaves them a black cake in the freezer. Uh-huh. They are supposed to share with somebody who she informs them about in her audio tapes. Um, should I get my mom this book? Yeah, it's a great book. It's one that I would, like, really suggest for book clubs because I think there's a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. All right, Babel. Everyone loves it. it. Haven't read it yet. I bought it, too. It's super big. We both bought it. Mariah, one of our booksellers, just can't say enough. It was voted on by multiple people. Anyone who's read it loves it. Um, It's by R.F. Huang. Who has written other things in the fantasy genre, I believe, um, and has been very beloved. But this is called A Cross Between a Secret History. It's Donna Tartt and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's like dark academia. Yes, she also describes it as dark academia. Themes of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in 1828. Um, the main character is Robin Swift, who's been orphaned by cholera in Canton, brought to London by a mysterious professor, and he trains her in languages. So this relates a lot to languages, unknown, like what's knowable and what's not know- knowable. Robin's um, a dude, though. Oh, sorry. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> it is It is London. Robin is often a dude in a show. Um, and so Babel is this center for translation, and translation equals magic. And there's so there's magic, there's language, there's history, there's everything. Um, I can't wait to read it. I think this is one I'm packing on vacation for the new year. I think a lot of it, too, is about, like, at what point do you become complicit in a system that right. is unjust? Right. Um, even when you're not the one making the choices, which I think could apply to, like, really anyone who has an amount of privilege within a society or institution. And if you have any interest in, like, colonialism and imperialism... This would be like a really interesting book to read. It would really kind of help you play with those thoughts. Like, I am fascinated by the royal family. And I started watching Harry and Meghan last night. Oh my God. He's so good. But in The Crown, 
which I am trying to catch up on while also watching Harry and Megan. They <laughs> recently made uh, Diana and the Prince of Wales recently made their trip to Australia back when Australia was part of the UK. They were not independent. I guess I forgot that that was part of history. So this would relate to that, what it is to be colonized, to be part of something um, that you didn't necessarily want to be part of. So tell me about, we both read this one, Sea of Tranquility, Emily St. John Mandel. You love her because you love her writing. I think her writing has a very beautiful and wholly unique quality to it. It's like a fever dream. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's beautiful writing. It's soft. It is not so literary that you can't like some gorgeous writing is very, very literary, but sometimes the story and the characters can get lost in that use of language. She she never loses that in her writing. Right. And so you don't only get like this really compelling story and characters that you're invested in. It's just a beautiful use of words. So what happens in Sea of Tranquility? So there's a tree in Canada. Mm-hmm. Weird shit happens under this tree. Yeah. But you've got multiple timelines. You've got right. Moon Colony. Yeah, you've this got, is so cool. Like, I love the whole connection of Moon Colony. And that, like there's an author who's coming back from the moon to do a tour on Earth. Yes. There's pandemics. And there's a pandemic. It's not like... This is not, we wouldn't be recommending this if it was a strictly pandemic story because we're all sick of pandemic. We've read a lot of pandemic stories, but there is, pandemic is still a part of our world. Yep. And And it's like 200 years in the future. So there's like, there's multiple timelines. Right. We go back. So you have like three sort of characters or stories and Mm -hmm. there's this connection to this tree. It's like this very like rapid vision that they get. Um, music and music that goes that goes mm-hmm. along with that vision, and the whole story is trying to figure out like what what is the connection, mm-hmm. like what does this mean? And it kind of has some hints at like time travel portal. Yeah, and then you know one of the sort of themes of it, I guess, is <laughs> or the questions that the book poses is, are we? This is very philosophical. Are we just a simulation? Is life just a simulation? But this is but not the heaviest. A, but it poses a question. It if it is, does it matter? Is yeah. it any less real? Right. It's not. Um, but yeah. it's And it's not a long book. So. You don't have to have read her previous work, but there are connections. There are to little the threads. Hotel. There are mm-hmm. little threads. And so, so if you've read her work, grab it because you'll enjoy seeing that that teeny thread of connection to this next evolution of her work. Okay, we both read the next one as well, Olga Dies Dreaming. <laughs> Which is um, being adapted into a Hulu, sh- Hulu Not show. Not surprised. Guess who's going to be, shut up, Rachel, Hula Hoop you. Um, guess who's going to play Olga? Who? Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> oh, I have to look up who you guys know. I don't know these Parks things. and Rec, you know. I'm looking at, she oh my God, yes. She is going to be perfect because the Olga is a power bitch. She's a power bitch. So yeah. Olga and her brother Prieto are the two main characters. Mm-hmm. They're Puerto Rican, New Yorkies. 
and they are she is a wedding planner for like the wealthiest people in new york she makes shit happen and he's a congressman who mm-hmm. is like kind of corrupt coming up but he's coming up though and he has heart but sort oh, he, of he does but he has he has bowed to some of the influ- influences basically it, it's an affirmation of the fact that like you can go into it with good heart but politicians all play the game eventually it's the only way yes and, and so they're both so, like like sad they're both like in their 30s and they're they have these successful careers their mother abandoned them when they were young, like teenagers, and both of their parents were sort of Puerto Rican revolutionaries, um, and their mother left because she was, like, going to go, like, fight. And for so, independence in for Puerto, Puerto Rica. Rican independence. Mm-hmm. And so she abandons them, and they never hear, from, like, they can't get a hold of her. And, they, and, and every, that is a huge influence on them. And life. every now and then she'll, like, send them letters, mm-hmm. like, individually. But, but not in a way that's helpful. No, but they, can, they can't reach her. And so they're left with their father, who is a drug addict and dies of HIV as a result of his drug use when they're teenagers. And so they've got this kind of broad extended family. But they're both living lives that are really kind of in contrast to the values that their parents were, you know, yeah. living and dying for. A congressman working for America. Um, and... And Hurricane Maria happens during this time frame. Right. So there's the whole, like, to what extent are we Puerto Rican? Like, how do we carry on the – how do we make sense of our parents' choices and their values in in light of ours? It's a really good book. It's great about families. It's a great contemplation of Puerto Rico. It's – an uh, I wanted my sister to read it. Hopefully she will. Maybe I have to buy it for her for Christmas. She listened to everything on audiobook, though, so she can use Libro FM. Um, gives you a taste of neighborhoods of New York. Yes. Which I love. Well, gentrification is like a big theme yeah. in the book, too. Right. And how communities, immigrant communities, can find a new home in like certain neighborhoods or boroughs of New York. Um, so I was curious to get her input on how does that reflect the New York she sees. Um, all right, so we both love that one. Now, also, sitting at home for me, but you just finished it. You got very little sleep to finish it. Demon Copperhead by the one and only Barbara King Solver. Tell us why it made the list. Okay, modern retelling of David Copperfield. You do not have to have read David Copperfield nope. at all to enjoy this book. So your main character is Damon, a.k.a. Demon, mm-hmm. and he it follows his whole life story from birth to now, which is like he's late teens, early 20s, and he it takes place in Appalachia, which is where Barbara Kingsolver lives. Mm-hmm. He's born to um, a drug addict mother who has come up through the foster system. His father dies when she is pregnant with Demon, and so... Her mom, his mom has abusive relationships. Um, she ends up dying, so he's orphaned. He gets pushed into the foster system, bounced around in different places. And it's very much a story about, like, survival. These kids who are dealt these really shitty hands and in a place where um, their opportunities are so few. And so it's a number of kids. Demon's the main character, but he's got all these little friends. Which is just how David Copperfield works. Yeah. Again, haven't read it. And you know, some of, some of them end up, you know, but for the grace of God, right? Like, 
they, they make it through and some do not. Right. And none and and none of those kids are any better. The ones that make it are not better right. than the ones who didn't. And it also it, it talks about a lot of important things like um, the way that we view that part of the country and the people who live there. Um, very much an exploration of the opioid crisis. How does a person become addicted? At what point do we like start? You know, we can have empathy for children who are born into these situations, but then they become adults and we're like, "Fuck you, you're trash." You know, but we let them, but we failed them along the yeah. way so mm-hmm. many times. And so, it, you know, and Barbara Kingsolver writes in this really beautiful, intricate way. Her characters are so f- richly drawn and developed. Um, loved it. All right. Last on the list of our dozen favorite books is one that I love. Also voted on by staff. Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. So Gabrielle Zevin, a quote from her book, The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey, is also the boilerplate of our website, A Place is Not a Place Without a Bookstore. Um, She wrote a very beautiful, moving book that is almost Nicholas Sparksian in its gut punch of a loss about love and, um, you know. You're talking about A.J. Fickrey. Yes, A.J. Fickrey, sorry. Everyone's watching this movie and they're like, oh my gosh, you need to watch this movie. It is finally done, but does not compare to the book at all. So read the freaking book. Read the book. Read the book and then watch the movie. Don't be a bitch. Or I guess, I guess. Apparently, How to Make an American Quilt is a book. I spent a summer watching this movie religiously in my under the stairs cubby. Um, it was like my comfort zone. I don't know what I was going through. It was middle school, you know. Okay, good. We have children who are that age. Um, but tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is like a knockout. It's a home run. I compare this a little bit to the genre of Daisy Jones and the Six and the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, where you're looking at a big massive success but do we really know the story behind the story so the big massive success is that these two friends have created one of these worldwide role-playing online games and it's it's huge it's huger than facebook okay it's like steve jobs on crack zuckerberg level success but what's the story behind the story And what we know is that these two children met at a children's hospital in California. One was recovering from an injury. One was visiting their sister with um, leukemia. And they, they become really close friends. They bond over their love of gaming. The escapism that gaming allows them. But um, they part ways over a misunderstanding and then run into each other in college and reconnect. And that same vision is there. They get excited and they combine their many talents to create this super awesome game. But they're two human beings who are who love each other. They're not romantically involved, but they're each dealing with their, their individual struggles and a friendship can, can go through trouble. So what happens? Where do the fallouts happen? Who... How do they rise to success? And then what happens afterwards? So it is really, really, really fun. And you don't have to be a gamer to get into it. 
Um, it's more just that kind of like fame and backstory. Love it. So I love that book. Now, that was the best in fiction. Okay, let's go to nonfiction. Nonfiction. Yeah, nonfiction. <laughs> so we um, are building our nonfiction uh, team strength. It's usually led by Chad, who my sister calls the hottest teacher <laughs> ever taught at Ames High School. It might not be appropriate to put on our podcast, but um, he is married to Amy, very happily so, another or one of our managers. They're Ooh, so in love. They're so in they love. They call it boyfriend, girlfriend. They're just like the cutest team that ever was. But he reads a lot of our nonfiction. We have some new staff members who are reading nonfiction. But in the meantime, our reading of 2022 was heavily slanted toward biography memoir, which is where our love is. But we will offer you a few kind of nature, science, perspective um, options here. We went with a half dozen on this one. You read Amy Bloom's In Love, as did several people on staff. Why is this on our list? So In Love is about, so Amy Bloom is a novelist, and this is her memoir, and it's about her husband's journey um, in physician-assisted suicide. So her husband was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and six months later, traveled to Europe where he received a physician-assisted suicide. And so it is about, it's really like a love letter to her husband, Brian, and their love story and how she had to come to terms with his choice and still support his choice. And an argument, I think, for the right to make that choice. Um, it's just a really uh, moving story. Right. I don't know if I can handle that gut punch based on It is emotional. a gut punch. I think you got to be in the right place for it. And it, so it, it, it can hard. make you very much reflect on your perspective on your own life and the lives of the people you love. Yeah. And, and, and probably her, can make you very grateful. And her selflessness, you know, uh-huh. like she supported him, but she, you know, right. obviously she didn't want to say goodbye to him. So, like, they go to Europe, and she knows how the strip ends, and they're, like, you know, walking the streets together, and they have their last dinner together, uh, and they go into little shops, and he buys her jewelry. I am not as strong as Amy Bloom. And just how, like, for his sake, she had to hold it together. I don't know how you she You know, in her own loss, she had to hold it together. And um, also, like, you know, so many people were, like, tried to talk him out of that decision because they didn't want him to die, and it was so early on in his diagnosis, right? Um, but he was taking and how she really kind of kind of well. had to like fend them off, and just like she chose to deal with her pain on her own and respect his choice. So I think that I should buy this for my husband for Valentine's Day and be like, <laughs> "Crack your heart open, man!" I will say his one emotion is anger. Like <laughs> it is not. <laughs> So I'll get this one and see if I can crack them open. It is a tough nut to crack. Okay, Bomb Sheltered. Loved Bomb Sheltered. Mary Laura Philpott. We love her so much. It's an essay collection. Right. And the main... A memoir and essays is what she calls it. Yes. And the main thread of this, or the main theme, I guess, is that that fear you have of, Mm -hmm. like, 
none of us get through life unscathed. Right. None of us escape grief. None of us escape loss. None of of us escape trauma. Mm -hmm. So how do you enjoy when times are good knowing that at some point the other shoe is going to drop? And she describes herself as an optimist. Yeah. But I mean, that really resonated with me. Yeah. Because it's like, how, how how do you trust when things are good? Because you know, like, you know that shit will happen. First shit that happens is that her high school age son. Okay, so she's she's already busy mourning their teenagehood and knowing that they're about you know planning. Yeah. Her kids are so growing my up. Mind. Yeah. I, I, it's exactly where I am with my oldest Eloise. She's fourteen. I'm like, I only have so many summer vacations left, and then she's gonna go to college, and I need to make all these memories, and I gotta do all these things. It was like, oh. It, it was my mind. She was riding my mind, and it was so meaningful. It was having company and that anxiety. But then her son wakes up one night, and he's having a massive seizure. And what they realize is that he has a seizure disorder. And so it's her struggling with, okay, how bad is it? How do we manage it? What does it mean for his life? What do we got to do next? When mm-hmm. I was just worried about you going off to college and whether you would spend your summer being a camp counselor instead of hanging out with me. And, and how do you maintain hope mm-hmm. in the face of those kinds of challenges? Like, how do you remain right. optimistic? Um, I thought the book was, like, really funny. And it, it, and it, funny. It, it spoke to my soul. Like, I think as a woman, especially as a mom, like, yes, it very much, very much resonated with me. I would say this is the perfect gift for mothers in general. I think anyone could get something out of it. I think a, a young woman could get something out of it. I I do think it is, a, I associate it as a unique burden or hurt that women carry, especially as mothers. Um, but all mothers could, re- I don't know, holy shit, we could give this one as a Mother's Day gift off the wazoo. Um, it makes you feel like you have comfort in your anxieties and your fears, but it doesn't leave you depressed. It makes you no. feel just like you've been to book club. You, you just all you had feel, your shit You feel session. seen, and, like, the yeah. last couple pages of that book are, like, ugh, amazing. When she talks about, like, what shelter is yeah, and how, like, love is a shelter. Also. Uh, shut up, Rachel. It's not corny. It it's beautiful in it the is. face of her book. Yes. It is. And yeah, and the cover is killer. It has a, tr- a little turtle on it. Yes. She has a backyard turtle. She admits, I should have never fed the turtle. I know that animal <laughs> rights people will be like, don't feed the, the animals turtle. But this turtle, <laughs> this turtle has become their kind of like little associate. He's not a pet. <laughs> and they he always just wait for him He knocks street. on the door. <laughs> yeah, he knocks on their door. And so if you go to her, her social media feed, you can see videos. Is he Fred? Frank, 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 that's Frank. Right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he survived and also woke up from hibernation in time to be the cover art for this book. So I love you, Frank. I love this book so much, and my goal is to someday meet Mary Laura. She does go by Mary Laura. She's not Mary, so she's Mary Laura, and I hope to meet her someday. Um, next up in our list of nonfiction is from a fantastic nature essayist, I would say, Cy Montgomery, who has written 
amazing things related to nature and wildlife. Um, the sound of a hummingbird, I think. No, the sound of a snail eating. And what, what all is in her backlist? We can look it up. The soul of an octopus, the hummingbird's gift. gift. The good, good pig. The good, good pig. Did you write the son of a sailing? Okay, sorry, that's someone else. Um, (laughs) But it's reflection on the creatures of the world and what it tells us about our own humanity. So how to be a good creature is gorgeous. This cover is insane. It is so beautiful. It is so giftable. And it's about, like, I think it's about she focuses on certain animals and like animals. what makes them quirky and mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. and it has illustrations from Rebecca Green, and it's talking about how understanding another species can help us understand ourselves. So this is just one of those kind of like lovely, lovely reads. This is what coffee table books should be. They have a point. They're beautiful. You pick them up. You read a bit. You put it back down, it still looks pretty. You pick it up again. <laughs> so I love pretty. that one. Okay, so I'm glad my mom died. Have By you read Jeanette it? McCur- yes, I've read okay. it, and like everyone's read it. I did not even give a shit about iCarly. No, I didn't watch it either. I totally I missed, that, it. missed that train. Right. My kids watched Sam and Cat, and I found it so annoying, mostly because of Ariana Grande and her, like, she was forced into a particular role with a particular voice. It's very, very annoying on that show. But um, I guess I knew who Jeanette McCurdy was because I had this on in my house all the time. But all I knew was that people were saying this book is powerful. And so I read it. And holy shit. <laughs> is it good. It is one of the better memoirs of, wow. It's got this, like... It is so, so heavy, but she ends every chapter with this, like, little bit of levity, a little bit of snark. So it's it's very digestible as you read it. But it's about her life. You know, as a child actress, she has this, like, very dysfunctional family. Her mother wanted her to be an actress because her mother never got to be an actress. Yes. So she has identified Jeanette as the one who will do it. Yep. She and, is a, but they're, like, yeah. you know, they're dealing with poverty to an extent mess up relationship between mom and dad yes grandma Um, and grandpa live in live in with them not great and so it's like when you when you're a child she talks a lot about how like when you're a child and you're growing up in dysfunction you don't necessarily recognize it as dysfunction because it's all you know she didn't know for and that's what we learned she didn't know for a very long time like how messed up it was that her normal was not normal like, we're talking past 18. Yeah. Um, her mother basically coached her into eating disorder. Yes. And also, like, kept her very, like, babyish. Yeah. Like, she was writing in a car seat when she was, like, 12. Right. So there are many odd, odd things that happen. There are borderline traumatic things. So there are definitely some trigger warnings on this. But it, it's, yes. not, it's not over the top horribly abusive traumatic you know this isn't stolen by elizabeth gilpin you know like sexual trauma there is some there level some. of sexual sexual misconduct i would say that is really inappropriate um 
and how being raised this way made it very difficult for her to enter adulthood. Yeah, because she had no no real like frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And then a lot you know, of codependency that developed yep. everywhere in her life. And her mom, you know, died of cancer, and so hence the title. I'm glad my mom died. Right. Because it gives her the freedom from something she might not have ever been able to be free of. Yeah. And it makes me really um, curious and optimistic for what will become of Je- Jeanette McCurdy in the future. Yeah. I hope she, I hope well, she figures she, out what she, she wants. She never wanted to be an actress. She yeah. never liked doing it. She was embarrassed to be on those, sh- those shows. But there is a cool part where she talks about how she loved writing. And it's like, right. well, here you are. You're being a writer, and you're a good and writer. she <laughs> has sold the shit out of her book. Holy crap. I'm so happy for her. And she, I think, has an interest in writing for TV and movies. And so yeah. if this memoir is any indication of what she's capable of, I think she'll do great things. So good job, Jeanette. You came to Ames, but you didn't come say hi. But we forgive you, kind of. Kind of. You will need to come back, and you will need to come say hi. Apologize. <laughs> okay, next up, <laughs> I have not read this one. Okay, but our staff has loved it, and it is, This is Not a Book About Benedict Cumberbatch by Tabitha Carbon. And the way that I've heard this described is, like, it's a memoir sort of about, like, <laughs> like, so Sarah on our staff who read this book, she was telling me all about it. And she was like, you know, as a woman, you like can't love anything. Like, you're ashamed for anything you, like, fangirl over. Like, if I love BTS or I love, you know. she does love BTS. <laughs> you know, or whatever I'm into, it's always like, okay. You know, like, women aren't allowed to, like, find joy and stuff like that. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. And so it's about kind of, like, reclaiming that. Mm-hmm. And it's about, okay, this is what makes sense to me. A woman named, the the author, Tabitha, (laughs) is a new mom at home with two kids, and she goes head over heels for Benedict Cumberhatch (laughs) because of his weird name, his weird face, and his role in Sherlock, which I agree was super cool. They fucked that up, and they were like, they brought some powerful people together and made a fucking awesome show, and they were like, whoopsie daisies, our people are too famous, we're not going to be able to come back and make the final episodes or seasons that we would like. I'm still <laughs> waiting for the next Sherlock. Is it ever going to happen? I don't know. But it was it was so good. It was so good. Yes. Well, Tabitha yeah. really had the hots for Benedict. I know and somebody else who has a hots for someone famous. Oh, yeah. I have Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, I've ha- I so, so you can have, relate to this. I can very much relate to it. But about, like, as a middle-aged woman, as a mother, like, you know, having, like, finding passion in your life, something yeah. that you're excited about. And, like, who cares if it's something that might be kind of stupid or other people might think is stupid. Right. Find your joy I'm not saying that Benedict Cumberbatch is. is stupid. Right. Sorry, Benedict. I know you're listening. I d- do not have an attraction for him, but I enjoy his show. So she wants you to find whatever delight and joy you can, and it's not just for teenage girls. We should all be obsessed and excited. I, I feel like I gotta get into stuff like that. Like I'm really excited for Spare, the Harry, yeah, biography, that uh, bio, memoir. I guess you call it a memoir, autobiography. 
Um, I think it's going to be memoir-ish in that, like, Harry has a lot more left to give. It's a little bit like Michelle Obama level. I can't wait. I'm, like, totally over the top. Rachel and I geek out over royal stuff all the time. So, you know what? I've found my own personal Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) So, I'm good. I'm good. I'm falling. I'm falling in your footsteps, Tabitha. Job, Tabitha. Okay, last one. This one is for Chad. Chad, Chad, who reads all of our major science, our history, our philosophy, psychology, economics. Holy crap. He, he, I mean, like, if you go to that section, it's like, Chad, Chad, Chad. Good thing he has good handwriting because he writes the shit ton out of shelf talkers for us. He is a very, what is it called? A renaissance man? He's a renaissance man. Yeah, he's a renaissance but man. But you know, I always know when he's been working because when I'm doing like the rate order of stuff we sold the day before, if he's been working, we sell a lot in those sections. And people are <laughs> curious. People yeah. want to understand the climate, the world, thought on what the point of life is, you know? What's like, the point? So anyway, he <sighs> he he loves this one. Um, everybody loves this one. Okay, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, People, Philadelphia Inquirer, Slate, Reader's Digest, Publishers Weekly, Book Page. They all love The Immense World by Ed Young. But more importantly, Chad loves it. Best and most important. Oh, yeah, Oprah, too. Chad, Who Oprah. You, same thing. Yeah. Same level. Yeah. So let's, I mean, it's, it's about, what is it about? <laughs> It's about everything that exists on the planet. It's you about have to the, talk to Chad. It's about the immense world. Yeah. This, the, but it's okay, about like finding amazement in like the right. way the, wor- the world is. And how it works. And how okay. it works. Rachel, fish, stop laughing. Fish that fill rivers with electrical messages. What? Humans who wield sonar like bats. What? 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 The Earth's magnetic fields, ley lines, I've talked about it before. I'm fascinated by that. Ley lines, these powerful places that allow things like Outlander to happen. We discover that a crocodile's scaly face is as sensitive as a robber's fingertips. What? Shit. I'm going to lovingly stroke a crocodile next time I see one. Okay, and it does mention... Not in a sexual way. It does mention dogs and what they smell on the street. Jesus Christ, what my dog smells on Main Street. (laughs) <laughs> who has been here? She has to sniff every dog, everything that has happened, every single part of the pavement, every tree, every curb. A lot of things happen here. And if I read, if I read the immense world, I might understand what's happening. Like that one time Rachel peed on the side of the building down here. What? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <Rachel>. <laughs> I do not. I think Ellen, Ellen is, Ellen can, I trust Ellen Ellen explicitly. She is my marriage partner. Oh my God. What did I do? You peed on the side of a building, Ellen? Me? Apparently. No, I've never peed on the side. Okay. I peed in the woods. That is the round up. That is the roundup. We will post it online. We will also be sharing through social media. I've also peed in the shower. <laughs> Everybody has. <laughs> I'm, we will be sorry, sharing, not sorry. We 
will be sharing <laughs> our staff members' individual best of the year because we have um, best and varied tastes and very enthusiastic booksellers who wouldn't want you to miss out on what they love so much. So watch for that. Do we have any popping in the store or any? No, we just have Christmas. There's no book releases coming on Tuesday. Nope. Hanukkah Do you want me to start. check? Mm-hmm. Hanukkah starts. Christmas. But this is Tuesday. Do you want me to check real quick? <laughs> it's the holiday season. I feel like Come to the bookstore. Let us help you find the perfect gift. That's the only thing that should be on your agenda. Buying books. Buying books and being with your family, emphasis on buying books, should be your priority. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what is it? Week. What is the elf <laughs> saying about singing songs for, brings joy, joy for all? Like from elf movies? Yeah, uh, that one. We got to have our own tagline. Let's get it real quick. Elf singing cheer. <laughs> The best way to spread Christmas cheer is buying books from Dog-Eared Books for all to read. It doesn't rhyme, but it works. Cheer here. Cheers. Here. 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 <laughs> the best way to spread Christmas cheer is buying books from all right here at Dog-Eared Books. At Dog-Eared Books. <laughs> 203 Main Street, Ames, Iowa, 50010. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and happy Hanukkah. Bye. <laughs> Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yeah, and if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. <laughs>